Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. We interrupt this program to give you a bulletin just received from one of our naval units to see. Hello, what have we here? My God, it's full of stars. Xenopod, from the year 5000. Welcome everyone to Xenopod from the year 5000. I am your host, Sean Drager, and with me today is uh, is Mark O'Connell. And Mark has a book out right now called Watching Skies, Star Wars, Spielberg, and Us. And uh, I figured, man, what a, what a perfect guest to have on the show because we haven't really, we've kind of touched on it a little bit, but we haven't jumped into full bore into kind of this era of films. And uh, it's, it's an era that's very near and dear to my heart. So, Mark, welcome to Xenopod from the year 5000. Thanks. Thank you. It's great to be here at last. Um, I appreciate it. So, uh, yeah, you, you, you reached out to me and, uh, I, you know, started, uh, uh, and then the book ended up finally ended up at, on my, on my doorstep and I've been kind of thumbing through it and, and reading it. And it's, I mean, it's such a mirror image in, in many ways of my childhood because I was, I was born in 77. Mm. So, uh, I was, I did not see the original star Wars in theaters, but, uh, it was definitely, since I was born in that time, my parents were huge science fiction fans, and, and I was raised up in, you know, Star Wars and Indiana Jones and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So uh, I guess I wanted to start off with what is, uh, what is your story in relationship to those films? When did you kind of, because uh, I'm assuming we're around the same age, or we've, been, we've gone through the same era? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm as young as you are. Uh, I'm I'm even younger. I was born in '75. So um, <laughs> I, yeah, no, I'm uh, so I was born in '75. I was born whilst Jaws was still riding the okay. the, the American box office chart. So I quite like the poetry of that, although it had it disappeared from the British charts at that point. Um, so I was born in '75. So I didn't. I wasn't one of those first wave New Hope kids or Star Wars kids. I I wasn't in my t-shirt and flared denim queuing up, whether it was outside the uh, the you know the Man Chinese Theatre or even the the uh, Odeon Leicester Square in London. I didn't actually see a Star Wars movie on the big screen till eighty three, June okay. eighty three, and Return of the Jedi. As probably um, the same as me. Yes. Yeah, so in fir- in fact, the first Spielberg film I did see in a movie theatre that was ET. E. Uh, sort of 36 years ago, almost to the week now, because we got it in December. Everyone in the UK assumes ET was a summer release, and it was for you guys, but it wasn't a, a, at all. Likewise, Gremlins and Ghostbusters—they all came out at Christmas for us, which was always very strange. Um, so my experience of Star Wars, in fact, the book goes into it in perhaps more poignant, better depth than I will <laughs> here. But it, my first experience was I was visiting a family member who was in a. I'll, I'll cut to the chase. Uh, she does, she's fine with me going there. But I was visiting my mother who was in a, I suppose what you'd call a psychiatric unit these okay. days. It, it was perhaps, it was like a Victorian cathedral to mental health. It's no longer there. My, these days, my mother would never have even been in a context like, like that. But anyway, I was visiting and uh, Star Wars New Hope was on TV for the very first time on UK television. It was uh, October 1982. And whilst I didn't really watch the film because of various distractions, I remember the whole sort of visitor's room and the lounge pausing and watching it. And it was those days where everyone was smoking. So I was sort of <laughs> trying to look through the the, the uh, sort of Marlboro mists to right. see. And I, and I 
And I remember the Princess Leia confrontation with Vader. I can see that now. And then I, I left not that long into the movie, but I, I vividly remember the, the sort of pounding John Williams score as I was marching away down these corridors. Mm-hmm. And my mum was home in a few weeks anyway. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't that traumatic, but that was my first experience. So I, I'm a VHS kid. I sort of came to these movies in the wrong order at the wrong time. Um, and I don't know about you, but I wouldn't have had it any other way. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I kind of the same with me. I, I think the first, the, the first big star Wars memory I have is seeing return of the Jedi in the theater. Yeah. And then I, I think I've worked my way back. I must've, cause I was very young and I must've through the years, uh, worked my way back. But I have vivid memories myself of we would always have like family movie night on Friday nights and mm. my brother so we would we would kind of do like two to three movies so my parents would pick a movie and normally that they, they would watch that themselves because we'd be tired and go to bed yeah but my brother and I would get to pick a, a film and I always I always we'd ride our bikes over to the local little VHS rental shop and wow I would always <laughs> grab either Return of the Jedi or Joe Dante's Explorers like those wow. are the two that I yeah. always, for some reason, would always rent, and I I don't know how many times my parents must have <laughs> must have watched those films with me, but those two films, you know, the the VHS, uh, the tapes were, you know, always, I don't, and, I, and of course I ended up and end up buying like used copies eventually once those became available and everything, but mm. but those two films, especially for some reason, um, were huge influences on me, and then I kind of went from there, but yeah, but but yeah, at, at that time. You know, we didn't have you didn't have the blogs or even I wasn't yeah. into magazines. I, I would just go into the rental store, the rental shop or whatever they're called, you know, and uh, just browse the covers and, mm. Um, mm. and and go from there. Yeah, it was a fascinating time. I mean, I've said it plenty of times and we've all said it before. It This pre-internet era of movie consumption and movie fandom is it's it's sort of great that we have to explain it because I think we, we are, you know, we're in a sort of embarrassment of riches now with mm-hmm. all these Star Wars movies and all of our franchises or many of them, Rocky, Tron, Indiana Jones, they alien, they haven't really gone away. They've come back and filtered their way back into our movie theaters. But those days, yes, you would, I remember the excitement of seeing like a return of the Jedi logo in our local news, black and white newspapers, mm-hmm. you know, in, in a corner with like three or four, clock times underneath the title and uh, i remember it was always like 1505 or you know or uh, 1102 it was always random numbers but that that was like that was as much that's as close as we got to these movies plus obviously the figures because the figures yeah. were in our lives you know I, I it was it was easier to find and own a star wars figure than it was to see a star wars movie at that time um, which is sort of unfathomable if, <laughs> unfathomable if you think about it now yeah, I mean it's 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 funny. Um, when when I was thinking, when I was kind of preparing for our conversation today, I was like, man, this is just going to be too. Uh, I mean, we're in our forties now, so it's like these two old dudes talking about the heyday <laughs> of these. How films. dare how dare you say I'm in my forties <laughs> in a public forum like this? I'm I'm twenty eight plus yes, eighteen. Yes, yeah, yes, no, yes. no, no, exactly. And I don't want. I hate being that. I, I don't want to be that old guy sat on the rocking chair on the front <laughs> on the front porch throwing rocks at automobiles going past going it'll never catch on I, d- I don't want to be that guy because i think i always say this whether you know whether it's 
Star Wars or Bond or Superman or Spielberg. It doesn't matter what your entry point was. The important thing is that you had one. So, yeah. you know, so, so many kids love Superman and Superman movies because of Superman three and Supergirl. Uh, and I'm, I'm sort of slightly in that bracket myself. Cause that was the ones that were in my world and in my video store and in oh, my yeah. sort of comic books and magazines um mine was yeah, superman I, 4 of all of all oh films and Lord. supergirl like i, I oh. loved those when i was younger okay, okay <laughs> i have that's... i haven't revisited superman 4 in a long time and i, I kind of just that's one of those films i want to kind of just keep in my head on how i remember it because i loved the nuclear man and his nails and everything yeah you don't you don't need to see it again no, no that that <laughs> That it was a stolen kiss that if you ever met that that girl from prom night again right. and said, oh, my gosh, that's not how I remembered it. Yeah. Uh, Quest for Peace is a, I, I went back to it recently uh, for the book and I was like, mm. it's it's a curio. It's a curio. I've got a right. friend, Oliver, uh, Oliver Harper, who is a, yeah, he's a, a great knowledge of the film, but. Everyone acknowledges its faults, but you know it's still Christopher Reeve and Gene Hackman having mm -hmm. their verbal joust, and it's still it's still sort of a Salkine Superman movie, just about. It's not <laughs> quite because they they lost the money and sold it off. But yeah, that's a brave admission. But then I'm the same with Bond. I <laughs> my Bond movies that I seriously hold close to my heart are all the ones that people sort of roll their eyes older fans and younger fans with this big why why and i'm you know i can defend it to the hill but as i say it doesn't matter what your your entry point was that it's, it's the important thing is that you have one yeah so I, yeah, I was thinking about um about this era of films and and especially like last night for example i watched the new predator movie uh the predator oh wow yeah and i was kind of thinking like you know like it was okay um I had some issues with it and, and, but I don't know if that's me kind of looking at the older predator films, one and two, especially through rose, rose colored glasses, yeah. or if there is something tangible that I love about these films that the newer films can't recreate. And I'm, and, and maybe it's just because I lived through this era of fully practical, uh, and optical kind of effects and animation rolled into these films and then moving into mm. this new generation of just, I mean, everything's digital. And that was my main issue with the new Predator film was the main big bad Predator that's supposed to be this menacing thing was a fully CGI creation. Mm. For me, mm. I was like, ah, you know, I mean, of course, they don't, there's no 10-foot guy to put a suit on or whatever. I mean, mm. I get it. Um, but for us, I was like, that was the missing point, missing mark for me. But I was wondering, like, what what are your how do you view uh, how do you view that the eighties era specifically because that for me and I don't know if it's just because I was grew up in that time but that for me that's like that's like the golden age of film <laughs> and I kind of will compare effects you know or just how mm, a certain yeah. film will make me feel how do you kind of juggle the two because um, when 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 it's all said and done we're film buffs like. And we love, mm. I, I love science fiction. I love fantasy. I'm going to give pretty much any film a fair shake. Mm. But uh, mm. do, you, do you feel there's a difference or is it just our, you know, kind of how we were, how we grew up in it? What, how do you juggle that? Yeah, it's, um, I think it's definitely framed by some nostalgia. Mm -hmm. I, I, I often think pop culture itself, its sort of DNA or its lifeblood is, is nostalgia it, it, because, it, it just has to be um yeah. 
But I, I also feel that the 80s, is, as an example, you say it was the golden age. Uh, I, would, <laughs> I would say it was a golden age right. for me and, and watching Sky is my book. It's, I sort of picked the 70s as, as that second golden okay, era right. of, of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, but the 80s is a curious one because we, especially for people you know, that are framing it and discussing and writing about it nowadays. And it's everywhere. You, you know, it's yeah. hashtag 80s, hashtag VHS. You can see it everywhere on, on th- all these, the movie chats and movie forums. But the 80s was, I think, actually, for me, the, the glories, the, the movie glories of the 80s and the ones I pick up on in the book, they actually were, were sort of... Um, they were the result of the tail end of the seventies. Mm-hmm. So if if you look at ET, it was shot in eighty one. It was you know it was probably written year or two before that. So it's actually a late seventies movie. Likewise, and you know certainly New Hope and um, Empire Strikes Back and Alien. So a lot of these eighties franchises, even Raiders. Raiders, yes, it comes out in eighty one, but it was sort of formulated and conceived in that late seventies thinking and era. And I think that. You can almost split the 80s into two halves when it comes to to American cinema and those films we love. And you've you've got this sort of, I want to say hangover, there's better words than that, but this <laughs> hangover of, of 70s-ness. And then, and that's why I sort of ended the timeline on watching Skies around 84, 85, although I do come back to future incarnations of Star Wars and right. Superman and Indiana Jones because you just, you just can't ignore that. But around 84, 85, American movies and, and 80s cinema, and it was probably the same in Britain as well, started to change. And we, we first of all lost Star Wars because Jedi was the last Star Wars film ever made. Um, and then suddenly we have, right, we've got um, Caravan of Courage, 84, just to keep some of our uh, appetites going. <laughs> um, but we didn't, those, the, that sort of wonder of E.T. and Jaws and Close Encounters and Raiders slightly disappeared and got replaced by films like Daryl and Short Circuit and Space Camp and right. Flight of the Navigator, where those films were still playing to the kids and playing to their their hunger for sci-fi and fantasy. But they would, and maybe it was just because they didn't have George Lucas-style budgets, but these films became very Earth-based so Short Circuit's a great, great movie, but it's it's you know it's about NASA and it's about military and it and there's a sort of cynicism to that as well, where these movies become very earth based and there has to be a military angle that you know and mm-hmm. so 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 the eighties are yeah and then onwards then that whole yuppie you know money grabbing property developer uh, mindset that that was sort of poison i'll say poisoning but yeah it was poisoning the world you know um i think that 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 obviously came into the late 80s with fatal attraction and wall street and even platoon as well um so to give you a very long answer i i just i feel the 80s is sort of split into a couple of halves um but why i mean to then answer you a bit more we why are we in this era of nostalgia and homage and awareness of those films and i think it it comes down to a lot of things again it's that pop culture um sense of nostalgia and hindsight and those rose-colored glasses as you say but i also think we're in a very we're in an era where all those 80s kids you me the leave you know the 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 the, uh brothers uh, i can't remember the names duffer brothers who did stranger Mm -hmm. things that we're all 
we're getting to a point where we're we're doing the writing, we're doing the producing or the commissioning, or yeah. And I think that what's happened is that the uh, all of us '80s kids are finally, you know, running the video store. The video store just happens to be called Netflix. That's you know, <laughs> it's just just got a different name, and we've got an access to it in all our um, lounges. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny this kind of new wave of nostalgia because it's it's good. It's spilling over into my kids because my kids love Stranger Things. So when they got done watching that, they're like, Dad, what's more movies like this? And I'm like, well, you guys have seen Star Wars. And, and so we started trying to finding all the things that were wrapped into Stranger Things and mm. starting to kind of go through a watch list of, of films. You know, of course, uh, Gremlins and Predator and uh, yeah. everything. Like we, We've all, we've gone through all these films with them and they love it, but they, but they kind of do giggle at, some of the special effects and uh they they have an appreciation for the original star wars trilogy but they're like dad you know some of the stuff looks kind of fake (laughs) we like the new ones better you know (laughs) there is there are adoption services you can you can use them um no well actually i think there's another point about a lot of that 80s cinema and you know i think stranger things is a good example there was a quality and a purity to those movies yeah. and those titles. You look at Gremlins. Gremlins wasn't setting itself up to be a multi-film franchise. It wasn't trying to be Marvel, where every film is sort of signposting five films in the future. And, and often those films don't operate as films on their own, in their mm-hmm. own entirety. You know, No one ever came out of godfather three and said do you know what i thought it was a bit weak but i can't wait for godfather seven <laughs> that's that's sort of this multi-franchise extended universe world we live in but there was there was a purity and an individualism to a lot of those movies um and i think kids are, kids are not stupid they pick up on that and i've got god kids and they're also I mean, they say it with pride that they've watched Jurassic Park or they, they know the original Star Wars trilogy. And I think they're aware, they can sense that quality and that sense of storytelling. So we shouldn't always dismiss it, you mm-hmm. know, um, not that you did, but I, I think <laughs> that is an element as well. Yeah. Well, it, it I don't know. Uh, th- I think the thing with my kids with Star Wars, they've just, I've always, I when they were young, I always had, you know, they, they they've kind of, it's just a, they, it's an extension of me in their eyes, and they're kind of uh, on their little journey in pop culture. They're kind of gravitating for things that they can claim. So since mm-hmm. I already have a stake in Star Wars, it's almost like they're like, yeah, we'll go over here. But they love, you know, Jurassic Park, and they love they they have a respect for these things. And mm-hmm. it, it and as my daughter's getting older, she's thirteen now. She's really starting to kind of go back and be like, hey, can we watch this? And um, you know, we, we just watched with my youngest, he's six years old. We just watched Never Ending Story and he just wow. ate that film up. But, um, but you know, it's, it's just funny kind of seeing all these things kind of play throughout the decades and kind of come back around. I was just watching a, uh, there's a band called Ghost and they re- released a new video. I think it was today called for a song mm. called uh, Dancing Macabre. And like mm. that video looks like it could be playing on MTV in like 1986. Right. <laughs> no. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, th- this is all kind of coming like back around um, in a little bit of a fresh, uh, yeah, rose-colored uh, glasses way. Like, there's a you know, there's there it. You know, I mean, I'm I'm assuming like this the same thing happened. Uh, you know, in the 80s, people looking back at like the 50s and 60s, possibly. You know, with oh yeah, you things. mean 80s? So it all, you, it's all cyclical. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it's wheels within wheels. Pop yeah. culture is always wheels within wheels. And you, you, you're, da- you're very right that you look at 80s, there was a massive interest in the early 60s and 50s. So we had films like uh, Diner and Peggy Sue Got Married and you know Back to the Future. So yeah, maybe there's a cyclical thing. And you know, also in the 70s, there was an interest in like the 30s, right. Bonnie and Clyde and um, The Sting. There, you know, that it, it's curious. I mean, I... Uh, in, it's sort of I don't know when are we going to have the 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 noughties or the uh, the millennial um, sort of uh, revisionist. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I I just as long as we've got good products that we'll look back on in thirty years time and go I you know I I no one's going to say the Predator or that, or the new movie, but there is some little gems. I mean you know some of the Marvel movies. Um, and the new sequel trilogy for Star Wars, I think, yeah. is hold is holding its own as pieces of cinema. So I think they'll, as long as it's not too diluted by too many series and spinoffs, <laughs> I, I, I think you know we'll we'll hopefully look back now and see those little gems. But there is there's still not those little individual movies. It's still I don't know about you, but it's still a surprise sometimes when you see a trailer for a, a film you haven't heard of that looks yeah. like a quirk, quirky little standalone movie i saw i can't even remember what the trailer was for uh, it was um danny glover and army hammer i saw the trailer last night um and it it starts at a call center and, and then just goes off on this crazy odyssey and i thought my god it's so interesting just to see a, a, f- a film that's not a franchise that's not gonna be five sequels a spin-off netflix show yeah. um and i think that we've got to get that back a bit that, that's yeah. something you just have the standalone one-off great hits it's it's not a crime to not do a sequel (laughs) sequels are are where the money is uh speaking of where speaking of where the money is and this is something that having kids and everything um i've kind of seen a difference with how my kids approach toys when we were kids it was all about the action figures um Mm. you you talk uh quite a bit in your book about your action figures and i wanted to to uh because i always i always always had would always have some. My family was kind of, uh, you know, like I always wanted like the really big sets. Like I wanted the the gigantic, you know, uh, at at you know, uh, yeah. And I wanted the Millennium Falcon, and we I can never get those. And as a matter no matter how much I begged, it was never on in the budget for my parents to get me one of those. And mm. I wasn't disciplined enough to save up the money myself. Yeah. Uh, but um, but I I mean I loved my action figures. I had the GI Joes. I I had Transformers. I had all the Star Wars characters. I would bridge universes with in in the backyard uh, <laughs> with my yeah, action figures. Yeah. What was your experience uh, with with action figures and and um, what 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 your what are your kind of what are your favorite memories uh, about those and Yeah, well I had I. I mean I think I was m- more aware of Star Wars or initially aware of Star Wars. Uh, th- through the figures, definitely through mm-hmm. the toys. I was spending a bit of uh, the summer of 82. My parents were having quite a Kramer versus Kramer divorce. It was quite full on. Um, and I went off and st- stayed with a friend of the family. Uh, and there was a, a kid called Gareth. Um, I-, I need to find him again because uh, he was sort of epochal to my... Um, star wars timeline but he had the death star one of the death star play sets oh man and yeah the the sort of the half sphere um one not the tall tower one <laughs> but the other one and i was and i i remember just being fascinated by that and he had the these characters you know obi-wan and darth vader and that was that was just 
like mind blowing. It was I don't know how you can have any equivalency now as a kid. Um, but so that was, and then I slowly got some figures. My first figure was Forlom, which is the bug-eyed bounty hunter from Empire Strikes Back. Which is, it was probably because it was the only one available in the the sort of discount uh box <laughs> at the department store um but so yeah so i had lots of star wars figures uh, very quickly and i i had i took 12 of my founding fathers of star wars action figures i took them to uh, crete one of the greek islands on a family holiday and i lost them all no, and i was no. i was devastated uh, i lost them in a um, in a in a cab coming back from the airport, our flight got diverted in the early hours to some random airport that we weren't meant to be at. And we got some looking back. It was probably some illegal guy literally just driving his car around. So there was no way of (laughs) of tracking it down. And I still can't go through Gatwick, one of the London uh, terminals without just wondering, "Mm, I might just check lost property. You never know. (laughs) There could be like a glass case with my Snoopy, (laughs) snoopy bag and all my initial star wars figures in it and it's like one of these let's just see if someone claims it moments um but i was also i mean star wars was my thing so i did have the x-wings and i i was having i was coming from a broken home my parents were sort of quite heavily divorcing as i say Mm -hmm. but one of the upshots of that and there weren't many at the time but one of the upshots was one of the good things was that both sets of parents would be aware of what I was into. And I I don't think they were playing each other off, but if, if my mum got me an X-Wing, my dad would get me an X-Wing. So suddenly I had two (laughs) X-Wings and like, um, I I didn't have two at-ats, but I would have like, I would have duplicates and being little star Wars eighties kids, we wouldn't own up because actually having duplicates was not a bad thing. Um, Mm. unless you really, unless you really had your heart on sort of Bespin Luke or something. Um, and I got the Atta and Christmas 1984. Not only did I finally see The Empire Strikes Back, we were, I was finally able to rent it from the video store. And, and I cleverly booked it because you had to book the films sometimes those days. Yes. I booked the, the one copy of Empire Strikes Back. We picked it up Christmas Eve. So I knew I had it for one night's fee, but I had the shop wasn't open for the next four days. So I had it f- over the whole Christmas period. And that was the same Christmas morning I watched Empire Strikes Back and got my first and only Millennium Falcon from Kenner. And it was sensational. And looking at the money as well, you're right. My parents, we we didn't have much money, but they would, I don't know, I was only child, but I was never spoiled. And perhaps they just put some money aside for Christmas. Right. And I was also into, I was, I, I was into the trendy things as well, like He-Man. I had Skeletor and He-Man <laughs> um, and, and some of the ob- more obvious ones. Um, so yeah, I was. I'm trying to, uh, what other '80s toys I had? I think yeah, it was more other things like Walkman as well. I remember getting a Walkman that same Christmas of '84, <laughs> and I've still got it as well. And it, it, that's up in the attic. This sort of red thing is about the size of like a flight recorder. You nice. sort of meant to strap it to your uh, waist and and listen to uh, bad '80s hits. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I was there. I but Star Wars was the main ones, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have a, I have a, I don't have very much left uh, from my early, early days of in toys that I've kept, and I've, I've, it's one of those things where I've kicked myself, you know, for for not, not, ha- not being psychic and reading the future. Uh, I know, I kept, you know? I kept. I don't know if it was because we had a big house and I was only child, but I, just, I kept things. I'm quite, yeah. I'm sort of, I'm, 
I've got a lot of Celtic genes in me, and apparently Celts are very romantic and nostalgic, <laughs> which explains most of my writing from the last 10 nice. years. And I think that's why I just kept them all. Although my mum, she was moving house, and she, I came home one day, and there was an attack on the front doorstep. It was like an abandoned puppy. And she, <laughs> she sent me a text going... Um, you throw it away if you want to, but I don't know if you wanted it. And I was like, oh, thank you for at least giving me the choice. And there was like a sort of refuse sack of Star Wars <laughs> figures. Like, you know, it was like some sort of, I don't know, uh, refugee exodus from one house to another. And I, I so I've still got them. I'm, I was lucky. I, I don't know why the hindsight of keeping them all. Um, but yeah, that, that was sort of my, uh, being an early child helps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the only the only thing I think the only thing I have remaining is uh, I had a stuffed uh, wicket Ewok uh, that I, I lost his little his little whatever you call it his little headgear. Yeah, uh, but he's still uh, he's right here on my desk. Actually, I have him and another childhood stuffed animal. The only I read I so so there. wanted that Holy wicket, man. and my my mum said I've got you the wicket for your birthday I think it was like 10 or something and it wasn't wicket it was one of the little baby <laughs> and I remember like that's not wicket and I but I was like okay and he's he wasn't gray but okay um yeah no I was quite obsessed by wicket at the time. I remember that one I remember that toy as well so yeah hold on to it hold on to it yeah and, um Maybe he'll get his headdress back one day. Someday, I'm like, I'm, I was scouring eBay, you know, every now and then. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you and I both, we kind of, we kind of gravitate back towards these, you know, mainly you know, Star Wars, George Lucas, uh, Steven Spielberg films, hmm. um, and especially Star Wars. And for me, I mean, look, you come into my office here in, this, in the studio. I have a Star Wars blanket, Star Wars pillows, I have Star Wars things on the wall um it's just it's for some reason this one franchise has stuck with me for so long and i i you know I, part of it is nostalgia but i mean there's plenty of movies that formed my childhood and kind of formed me into the movie geek that i am but um i want to talk a little bit about star wars here and in 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 your book you were very uh you were very kind to the prequels and i remember um, I haven't revisited those in so long because I remember mm. initially when they came out, I, that was so soured on the prequels. But uh, yourself and your writing, some other people, some other, I listened to a few other uh, Star Wars podcasts, they've revisited them and kind of just like accepted them, but kind of uh, accepted and uh, I guess discovered how the story weaves into the original trilogy, and then now mm. Uh, mm. they're being weaved into things like Rogue One, and even mm. into the the new trilogy that's coming out, and in, and in all the supplemental, all the cartoons and everything. Um, what was your initial kind of, uh, I guess, how did you view the the original prequel yeah. that came out, and then and then how did you have you come to your, I guess. Uh, I wouldn't say accept like acceptance is like you just admit defeat and accept it, but you did. Yeah. Yeah. You did have some, some good things to say about the storytelling aspect of it. Yeah. I'm, don't get me wrong. The prequels are still a mixed bag for yeah. me and they, I, I wouldn't, it, my childhood wasn't ruined by George Lucas making the prequels as some like to claim. Right. And I would never say that either because yeah. Cause I was actually an adult when they came out and my childhood yeah. was based on new hope Return of the Jedi, Empire Strikes Back, Raiders. George Lucas and Spielberg enhanced and utterly supported and bolstered my childhood. They, mm -hmm. you know, whatever they did when all of us were older adults, it's, it's ridiculous to say they ruined my childhood. Or even <laughs> people use even worse 
words for what they did to the childhood. Anyway, yeah. um, I, I mean, like, I don't know about your your kids, I'm not, um, but so many I've, I've met so many um, adults in their twenties or early twenties who fell in love with Star Wars because of the pod race and Anakin and Phantom right. Menace, huh. uh, and that that was that was hard to sort of to listen to and accept because <laughs> you go, yeah, yeah, but just watch Empire Strikes Back. And they do, they're aware of it, but that was their point because it was the, then it was, it, you know, Phantom Menace was a lot of kids cultural currency. Yeah. Well, um, a lot of parents were taking their kids to the new, you know, Oh, it's a new star Wars film. Let's all go as a family. It was a huge event. I mean, a huge absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I find, I actually think oddly the Phantom Menace, which was the one that got most derided so fiercely and so quickly is the one that's holding up the best huh. because it's it's not trying to do too much and it keeps that that sense of trio you know a uh, few people have pinned that to to Lucas and Star Wars you know three characters three worlds three acts right. often often a palette of three colors it tries to sort of stick with that a little bit a little bit and and then i, I just think Lucas the storytelling just went too wide and was bringing in too much, you know, politics. I, I, I don't think any kid or adult cares that much about trade federation routes <laughs> and all of that and unions. And it just felt a bit clunky and a bit heavy. And, uh, and one of the strange things of Phantom Menace is it's got, uh, you got Jake Lloyd playing Anakin and he, he looks, sounds and is the kids that we all were when we fell in love with Star Wars. But now he, that, that Star Wars kid is in a Star Wars movie and regardless of his acting skills or, you know, whether he's, you know, whether he's a bit grating or irritating, I, I don't mind him in it. Um, we, we just find it hard to look at that film for that one of those reasons. Um, I, I feel that perhaps, um, uh, that we could have started later. I, I felt there was, yeah. there was parts of attack of the clones and, um, revenge of the Sith, uh, that really worked. I just, I just felt we could have just taken more time, a little, just stand back, uh, and get the focus, right. Um, there was a forever changing, roster of villainy and sub generals and it was uh, i was trying sometimes the films those prequels struggle to know where their where their point is and where their story is amongst all the because it is it, it's it's like making a prequel to titanic no matter what happens <laughs> we know that anakin skywalker is going to hit the iceberg uh -huh. and hit and his morals and life is going to sink beneath very cold waters and that we know that so however you do it you, as i say in the book the prequels and the whole thing of the whole uh, genre of prequels or the whole world of prequels is they they're damned from the start they're, yeah because because they're they're adding punctuation to sentences that are already written um and that will always be the flaw of the prequel um mm -hmm. Although saying that, look at Rogue One. That's right, I was just about to mention. Yeah, yeah, that's a prequel, and that's that works really well. It's a really competent piece of cinema, and a really competent piece of Star Wars storytelling. Um, and in fact, I think Rogue One is has got some of the best directional choices of any mm -hmm. Star Wars film. Yeah, you know, Rogue One is a better directed film than Return of the Jedi. No matter however you argue it. Um, yeah, oh no, man, it, it, I don't know how to take it, it, that. I don't know. Yeah, it's it, <laughs> my childhood I mean, self is wrestling with my adult self right now. Yeah, I, well, <laughs> <laughs> but, 
uh, welcome to Jake Lloyd's world. No, um, <laughs> oh man. <laughs> no. Um, so I, I, I don't hate the prequels. I, I yeah. like, I like the world. I like being immersed back in that world. And I think actually the story decisions Lucas took whilst you can't defend them by saying one film in 20 years time is going to join those dots a bit better, you know, rogue one, or maybe we'll get an Obi-Wan spin-off movie. Um, and the Mandalorian TV series. You can't say that. You can't defend one film by saying, just wait, it's going right, to yeah. all make sense in 20 years. But those films, they've sort of bedded in. It's almost like the seedlings have grown up and they're no longer sort of remote, separate saplings. They're growing into each other and, you know, the, the stories are threading and they're starting to yeah. make a sense. And whilst I didn't personally think the Darth Maul presence and then inclusion in solo was justified or earned I, I don't think it was justified and the movie fans the last time they saw him he was cut in half i, I know that there was right, a story world right. a spit story world that explained that but I, i'm i'm a movie star wars fan and if if that needs to be explained um <laughs> but when but, but saying that when darth maul appears in uh towards the end of solo i was thinking okay there's that sort of justifies what lucas did not that he had that planned um so i i think there are faults in the prequel um the prequels but then can you do you i'm sure you do but do you remember the that anticipation that first trailer oh man uh, uh, yeah and just as perhaps star wars changed or new hope and empire changed movie queuing for the movies and buying toys for the movies and bedspreads and top sticker albums and all of that just as that became such a thing. When the prequels came along, I remember it was the very first time I'd watched a trailer outside of a movie theatre. We uh -huh. watched it on my, my friend's computer, and I think it was dial-up, and it, took, it was New Year's Eve, I remember, and it took two hours to download <laughs> it. And we watched this trailer, and it was about the size of like a cigarette box right. on this big screen, and the sound didn't quite sync. But when those creatures just... And, it, and we all thought it was Dagobah, when those sort of creatures... Um, canter across the sort of misty swamp lands um we were gobsmacked by that and i felt nothing but what i originally felt about those films and then that that poster of um of young anakin and his shadows obviously vader that that, that was a I, I don't think actually i don't think those prequels got as good as that poster and that trailer <laughs> and that's oh, yeah. perhaps that's the missed beat. Yeah. But it still, it still had some glories. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those things where you kind of start looking back at all this and seeing how, you know, everything's kind of, like you've said, been threaded together. Um, and you, you know, you said something you, you in, in your book, I remember, um, you wrote about kind of George Lucas, uh, kind of being taken by the, the technology and maybe going mm. to, too too fast, too hard, too into this, leaning into the the new technology. Yes, um, because Jurassic Park Jurassic Park had hit. Um, mm. People were like, "Oh wow, these digital effects, you know, combined with the practical, look look pretty amazing." Mm. And mm. so he just decides, "I'm going to do new technology. We're going to shoot these completely digital." Um, yeah. Can you explain a little bit about what what you're saying about that? Because I think that's that actually is a very interesting thing because George mm. Lucas and even James Cameron to their faults have been, have leaned into uh new technology uh, just a little too much where, where it yeah. overtakes yeah. things. Um, well, it undermines 
not undermines, sorry, underlines uh-huh. George Lucas's fascination in technology and fascination in what te- technology can do in the entertainment industries, particularly in the computer industry. And um, people say, oh, he, he was t- tampering and changing stuff. And he, he you know, there's 97 re-releases and <laughs> all the subsequent little bits he's put in and chopped and changed. I mean, I think there's something wrong when a CGI Jawa falling off you know, a creature at Mos Eisley looks dated quicker than right. perhaps perhaps a puppet or a you know a little guy in an outfit in Tunisia. I, there's something wrong in that. But what? But, but people forget, or sometimes that George Lucas was. It was like a it was like a piece of ice or a piece of wood that he was forever sculpting and chipping away at. So he was changing and augmenting. Uh, the first Star Wars movie, two or three weeks later, he was putting extra sound effect mm-hmm. in. And, and the, the best example of that is adding the crawl and the, and rather, sorry, adding the episode four to the crawl and giving it that context, which wasn't there initially. Um, and I think oddly, one of the things that Lucas gets criticized on tampering and constantly renovating those films, I think it's actually what gave, it's what, it's why we've got Star Wars movies now because yeah. they, they proved a revenue. They they proved money. I mean, this is the movie industry. This is Hollywood. It's show business. Things have got to make a profit and you know and be invested into further uh, projects. But he he was keeping them relevant. So, yes, we were all falling for it, and we were buying our super deluxe widescreen CBS Fox VHS tapes that we thought were the ultimate. And there'll always be another ultimate. We always we thought DVD <laughs> was it. And then, no, it's not. Blu-ray, no, no, it's 4K. And 4K, yeah. will, 4K will soon be the beta, I'm sure, on, on that sort of Darwinian timeline of um, movie exhibition and movie consumption. Um, but, yes, I do think he – it came – perhaps to the surface more with the prequels he was you can see the technologies taking over Mm -hmm. um according to sort of folklore about these movies lucas was always less interested in acting and writing you know when carrie fisher wanted some motivation for a scene he'd say well just do it like they do in the movies and you know that doesn't help an actor (laughs) um and perhaps that was fine because lucas was there at the beginning of that real revolution of special effects yeah now there was another revolution of special effects but i think in terms of the timeline of visual effects jurassic park has got a bigger you know flag in the sand oh than, yeah than any of the pre uh, star wars prequels yeah. um and i think maybe he was sort of caught but caught in a different era where he perhaps i don't know i'm just wondering suggesting this off the top of my head that he didn't quite have the the grasp and the hold on it it perhaps got out of his reach and i don't know yeah Um, i think he saw i think he saw the potential i i and i think he was trying to he was there's a lot of figuring out uh figuring it out as he went um mm. and in his mind in a in a perfect technological world with perfect cgi effects yeah you wouldn't really need a a set but we Mm. still haven't been able to marry uh digital with real looking you know with 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 reality which just it just has not even happened yet in 2018 we're no, getting but better I, but yeah you, there's still that like film uh there's, there's still like a like a little you can always tell the digital the the cgi uh absolutely and i paintbrush. i think it's like 
and without sounding like those old men in the rocking chairs yeah. throwing, throwing <laughs> yeah. rocks at yeah. the Ford cars going past. Um, <laughs> there's Lucas. We, we criticize Lucas or some people do about his technology, but he, first of all, he puts so much of his own money and yeah. life and relationships and resources and time into these movies. And he was, he was supporting filmmakers like John Lasseter and Pixar and, 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 uh, you know, to share, um, some of the, the, uh, the Japanese director, he was actually doing a lot for cinema on the side. So mm-hmm. I think he still does as well. So as I said, it, it's a curious one, but I, yeah, I, I would, I still think there's more merit. There's more storytelling merit. And uh, force awakens understood this as well. Yeah. I, I think, I'd rather see a rubber puppet, like a vulture alien, chipping away at some roadkill. There's blatantly a puppet, or or if it's CGI, it's been CGI to look like a puppet. I think there's more merit to that than than Jawas falling off, you know, dewbacks <laughs> at Mos Eisley, uh, CGI, and it does it has that artifice. Um, yes, we don't want to see the strings holding an X-wing up in the air, but the strings say that that's how it was made. Yeah. That's how it's done and the artifice i think often not that lucas did this but the artifice of cinema is a is a valid point of it is a valid part of it and we shouldn't just try and because the whole idea of putting a camera in front of a scene or a building or an actor that's that's fake you've made a decision <laughs> so and the artifice right. artifice is part of cinema so just embrace it rather than try and hide <clears> it with, <throat> with cgi and all of that i think cgi is better used when it creates landscapes and perhaps changes you know the front of a house and you don't notice it yeah um, and i think that's where it's actually it's evolving in a more invisible way at the moment you know look yeah. at the crown the, the crown is sort of 90 percent cgi but it's you wouldn't know it because it's just delicate and subtle yeah 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 that's that's pretty incredible i mean in, but i mean see all of that uh you know spielberg and lucas did help pave the way i mean i think i think george lucas mm. helped pave pave a way uh towards digital photography digital mm. film um, cause he wanted to shoot, I think Phantom Menace for sure. He, that was just, it was shot in 1080, <laughs> I mm. believe. Mm. Cause yeah. he was, he wanted, there was, and I think that was the, the red camera. If I'm, if I'm remembering this correctly, was developed for the prequel trilogy and then they mm. built on from that. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of people are quick to, um, you know, uh, kind of trash talk George Lucas and, 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 and through all this, but you know, it's funny. I met him, uh, a few years back, oh. um, we, we, uh, I don't know if I've told the story on the podcast or anything, but anything, I don't think I've told it before, but I was in Vegas with my in-laws and my wife and we were just walking through, uh, one of the hotel shopping centers and my wife goes, Hey Sean, that guy over there looks familiar. And I look over and there's George Lucas oh. in, in, a, in like a wallet shop, you know? And my, <laughs> it's like the blood. Well, drained. he's got a lot of money. He has to buy a lot of wallets. <laughs> yeah. Um, my, the blood like drained from my face. I got like, my hands got clammy. I got super nervous. And I was like, that's George Lucas. And, uh, and it was like, no matter what, how I felt about the prequels, it was like that this guy is like responsible for like the foundation of like my childhood and yeah. geeked him all together. So, uh, mm-hmm. so my wife is like, well, are you going to say hi to him? And. I was like, well, you know, I, he's out shopping. I really don't want to bother him. Yes, I'll go bother him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because do not do. I I had a similar experience with Spielberg this year, and I he was like, literally shoulder to shoulder with me, and I just 
I did I did that. I can't. I mustn't. This is his time, his space, his world, his colleagues. You know, Meryl Street. <laughs> Meryl Street was next to him. They were talking about certain people in Hollywood. Who, you know, names won't be mentioned because uh-huh. court cases are pending. And I was like, this is so surreal. And I didn't go and I didn't nudge him. I I, I wanted to, and I wanted to be. S- but so you did. Did I, you? I talk to I uh, so I kind of hung out, and they went out of that shop, and they walked into like a clothing store. And I was like, well, I'm just going to go look at some suits I can't afford. So I kind of ended up in the same store as him. And I'm looking at suits. And I kind of wander over to him. He's looking at suits. I think they were, um, I don't know. They, it wasn't, they weren't shopping from him because he was wearing the plaid shirt and the jeans. Like the, the uh, classic good. George Luke Thank uniform. God. I, I would hate that he was wearing like a, a Netflix t-shirt <laughs> or something. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of saunter over and I'm browsing. And I look at him and I go, oh. I go, hi. I go, you're, you're George Lucas. And he looks at me and he goes, no, I'm not. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and I could tell, I was like, oh man. And I go, and I went and I just went, I go, you are. And I said, look, I go, I really don't want to bother you. I, I know this is your time. And I said, uh, but I just wanted to let you know that uh, I wanted to thank you for your films. I go, my kids are, are uh, becoming Star Wars fans and they, they love it as well. And as soon as I mentioned my kids, his eyes brightened up and he went, oh, Uh, and um, he said, well, thank you. And then then my wife came in, you know, she's she's Miss Personality. And she's like, hi, you know, my husband's a huge fan. (laughs) And she's like, can we get a picture? And he was very generous. The other half, the wives and uh, yeah, my husband's always (laughs) the same. They just forget the etiquette. We've worried about that etiquette. We've imagined that moment for 30 years. But they're, they're like. Let's just, hi, yeah, no, you, yeah, and did you get a photo? We got a photo, and and, oh, he's, and and it's hilarious because I looked at the picture, and I was like, ah, oh, he's not smiling, but then I looked at every single picture of George Lucas ever, and he's never smiling, yeah. so I was like, okay, all right, so I'm good, but uh, I, I was just, you know, he was very, very nice, and I'm, it, it, but the, it's just so funny that he tried to deny that he was, tried to deny that he's George Lucas, and it was just like, I'm like, man, you've you've been in my brain since, like, I was born. So it's like, there's, it's you. So, you know. When I was alongside Spielberg, I was so, I just so wanted to get his hand. First of all, say thank you. And mm-hmm. I would have left it at that. Mm-hmm. But I also wanted to say, I wanted the, sort of the British comic in me. I was like, I was so tempted to say, I'm so glad your films are finally getting an audience. Um, <laughs> but I just thought that might not translate. And the same with Meryl Streep. I just wanted to say, I'm so, so glad you're finally getting the parts, Meryl. You've been slogging away for 40 years. But you, you, you know, you just, I thought, no, no, no. And I just didn't. And I'm just hoping the karma gods look down on me and remember that I, I gave Mr. Spielberg right. his space that you day. Did. And actually, two months later, I was in the same room as him as, again. And I had less chance to get near, actually. But um, <laughs> I'm just thinking that I'm just going to keep ignoring him. That's what I'll do. I'll keep ignoring right, him in right. person and, until he comes knocking on my door. Right. And then, then I'll believe the karma gods. <laughs> But that's a good one, meeting George Lucas oh, and getting man. a photo. That is, that is a good, it was, good it was ri- moment. Ridiculous. That was probably the most star tr- starstruck I've been my entire life. And I've worked with bands. I've traveled, I've traveled with bands. I've met, like, some of my heroes in music. And, mm. uh, and this was like, this took the cake. This, was, this was, was ridiculous. Before we do wrap up, I do want to give you a chance to talk about Watching Skies, uh, Star Wars, Spielberg, and Us. It's out It's out right now both in the UK and in the US. That's and, right. Uh, is there anything that, we've, that we haven't covered? Is there, what would you, is there anything else you'd like to say about the book before we wrap up? 
Um, no, it's just I intended it to be. It's a memoir through cinema, but yeah. uh, it's but it's universal. I, I wanted this book more than I did a book before about being a Bond fan that was very specific to me and my Bond story because I, I had links. Uh, and that's that's a different chat another time. But I wanted I wanted this one to be universal, and and I've the response and the read the readers that have come to me going, I remember that I I saw that screening or I got that toy in that way, and I or and also the more poignant side of it as well. I as I said, I came from a broken home. Well, I did, it wasn't broken. It we just changed home. That's all it was. <laughs> and and a lot of so many. 80s movie fans who are movie kids have come to me and said I was that child with a single parent and we didn't have enough money but we would go and would get a Star Wars figure every month and and everyone's come out in the woodwork and it's been so great so I've been really pleased by the response the sort of universal response um and it's a book as I say it's a memoir through cinema it's looking at uh Star Wars Spielberg Superman Gremlins Poltergeist Indiana Jones um, but looking at why those films are so brilliant, not yeah. just what they're brilliant because we loved them. Um, but what, what happened in that very small, you know, I, I say it's a very small window of time, but it's a time that let in a hell of a lot of brilliant cinematic light. I mean, you look at, you know, even just that six, seven, eight year period of movies, we Raiders, Star Wars, ET, Close Encounters, Jaws, they weren't just popular in the seventies and eighties. They're like key grammar of this of 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 the language of 20th century cinema yeah. um so that's what i tried to look at so you know what did close encounters do apart from being an amazing ufo movie it it changed how our expectations of sound and sound exhibition right. um when et was the most pirated movie of all time that meant it was the most watched at home movie of all time so that that had some relevance i think so each film i try and look at the different things you know i I think one of the the visual templates of indiana jones and raiders was done by the poster artist richard amsell who then who died of aids in the mid 80s Mm. and we lost him way too young but he was this gay designer that created this action template with indiana jones and harrison ford and and we see it as such a straight matinee adventure idol but so yeah, so it's just slightly refocusing, new focus. I suppose yeah. that's the phrase, new focus, but still immersing ourselves in the nostalgia of it all. That's yeah. that's what watching skies does. <clears throat> no, it it <clears throat> excuse me. No, it it is great. And what I I what I did love was the uh, the memoir approach to this, the personal the person the personal story you inject into these films because anybody can write about that era of film and get all the facts right and everything, but. Yeah. The the personal aspect to it, the personality that you bring to each of these movies and your your lens that you've viewed these movies through uh, is great. So uh, oh, I want to make you. sure any, anyone can go check it out. Uh, go to, let's see, well, you can go to markoconnell.co.uk. It's also available. It's on, on Amazon. Um, is there any other places online that people can find you and, and find the book? Well, Put in hashtag watching skies and you'll find me and my photos and my thoughts of, of all of that era of cinema. We've got a great page on uh, Facebook now that's okay, perfect. Still generating lots of imagery and chats. So please, um, by all means, guys, find find me and say hi. I, I want to sort of I want to be surrounded by fellow VHS kids. Awesome. <laughs> all right, Mark, Mark O'Connell, thank you so much for for joining me Bye. on the podcast today and. I look forward to having more conversations. There's so much more we can even dive into even further uh, in in the future. So I definitely would welcome you back. 
And Explorers is coming back. I don't know if you know this, but Explorers is coming back. So, yeah, so good news there. But anyway, I appreciate it, Sean. Thank you for inviting me along. You're welcome.